So in fundamental nursing, there are important things. I want us to just look at those things in fundamental nursing. And uh, before going to where I want to start from, you will have to review this portion in fundamental. Uh, I know we are good with our legal and ethical responsibility when it comes to nursing. We are good with it because on many occasions we've provided question and answer and uh, the reactions from the group and individually was a good one. So I'm good with that. But let yes, still, you can just browse through the legal and ethical responsibility in nursing and look at those major, those major ones that you think you need a brush up on it and just review them. Then you look at one of the major points that you want to look at more is delegation and supervision. Delegation can be tricky in the end class because it requires some nursing knowledge to answer questions when it comes to delegation. And in delegation question, <clears throat> what makes it difficult is that um, I, I don't like people to read it from the book and constantly from the book. The reason is there are things that they're going to say these things that this procedure cannot be done by LV or LPNs or it can be done by CNAs. Now, but in the end class, you will be you will see some challenging delegation questions. And those questions, the answer is going to be LVN or LPN that will be the ones doing those uh those 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 uh procedure in the hospital. Now, what is important about delegation question is you as a test taker, you have to understand what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to read and know that this can be done by the CNA or the LVN. Now, take for example, someone might say, uh, when a patient has stroke and they are having this five year, their feeding cannot be dedicated to a CNA or to a UAP. Now, in the end class, they're going to bring you a case scenario. Just one word in that entire question will change the meaning of the question, and that can be done by a CNA. And it is that word or those words that will change the meaning of the entire question that we have to look out for when we are doing the question and answer in the end class. Because the reason is that <clears throat> sometimes there is only one word in the entire question that will change the meaning of a delegation question in the end class. And then it can be done by a CNA or by an LVN. So when you read this question, you got to look at it keenly and look at it and know that indeed you have these things. Now, we have things that we can delegate. We have um, things that can be delegated and we can stand as our end to supervise those things. Those are possibilities. Now, look at also the nursing process. And uh, <clears throat> let's see questions on the nursing process. Let's look at questions on the nursing process. And that's how I want us to study when we are doing our question and answer in the end class. Because if we study in this way, um, we understand a lot of things about the topic we are studying. So let's look at, let's look at one or two questions on the nursing process. <clears throat> now, let's see this question on the nursing process. So, <clears throat> The nursing person is a very big thing in the end class. They have, they have questions that come from, from there directly, and they have questions that come from in the indirectly. They might give you other procedures that do that the answer is going to be part of the nursing person, and they might give you other procedures that 
you have to look at it and see whether it is portion of the nursing process. You have to, you have to categorize those questions according to the nursing process format. That's how you can get this answer. But let, let, let's look at this question. Now, I'm going to put this question in the group chat and we'll look at it from there. We all will read a question and we'll analyze the question and we'll know exactly what we're supposed to get in there as the correct answer. So this one states, during which part of the client interview would it be best for the nurse to ask, what's the weather forecast for today? <clears throat> so you are having an interview with the patient. During which process of the interview that you're going to ask the patient, what's the weather forecast today? A says during the introduction, B says during the body, C says the closing, and D says during the orientation. What is the correct answer in here? Pardon me? I said, I was there during the introduction. Why during the, the, the introduction? Because at that time, you're trying to get the, you're trying to make the patient comfortable. Exactly. So that's yes. the rationale. You want yeah. to ask the patient this question at the beginning of yeah. your building rapport with them. When you see the mm. company, and that's why if you see customer service, right? Um, And I became embarrassed when I went to get something from the store the other day, this guy came, he, will, he, he, he tried to like persuade me to get something from the store. While standing waiting, this guy told me more than five things that look nice on me. Five times. Now, is it really nice on me? <clears throat> probably yes, probably not. But because he wanted to grasp my attention, so he would keep saying, oh, I like your wash, nice wash. Oh, nice shirt, nice shoes. Now, it is not that he wants to tell you it's nice because they are nice. No. But because he wants to build a rapport with you and make you feel happy at the beginning of you coming to pocket from the store or to encourage you to pocket from the store more, he will, he will say this thing to you to make you feel good. And then in, when you meet the patient, you want to introduce yourself to the patient and tell the patient things that the patient will understand about what you are going to do. And that is the beginning, which is the introductory phase of the nursing process, wherein the nurse will start to build good rapport with the patient. And that is the portion in which we we'll start there by asking the patient, <clears throat> is it raining out there? Is it really cold out there? Just to know exactly what the patient, what the patient mind is like. So we can start by saying that just by asking the patient. Let's look at another question in here. Another one says, the nurse, <clears throat> let me copy, let me try and put it into the group chat. Now this one says, the nurse is most likely to collect timely, specific information by asking which of the following questions. Now in the nursing process, this is the first phase. And in this phase, the nurse wants to ask questions that, that are timely, that are very much uh, specific about things about the client to get specific information about the client well-being. Now, this one says the nurse is most likely the nurse is most likely to collect timely specific information by asking which of the following question. It says, Will you describe what you are feeling? How are you today? What would you like to talk about? Where does it hurt? Now, among this question, this this option, which one is me describing 
media collecting timeless and specific information about the patient by the nurse? What's the correct answer and why is it the correct answer? It's it gives the patient more opportunity to be able to explain. Okay, open in the question. So which one is which one is the correct answer? Okay. So A is the correct answer. Um let's understand the question here. The nurse is most likely to collect timely, specific. How are you today? It is not Specific is not specified to anything. How are you today? I wouldn't get any specific information from the patient if I ask the patient, How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm here to do those stuff. I'm fine or oh, I'm not okay. It is not looking at the specificity of what the patient is going through. Now, I'm saying this to say in the end class, we have to focus on the main things in the question and answer period or portion of the end class. Now, would you describe what you are feeling today? That is specific. Just the description of the question tells you how specific it is for the nurse to ask the patient to, to, to describe what is the patient feeling at that moment of the interview. So A is the correct answer. What would you like to talk about? That is not specific. It is a vague question. It is not what the patient wants to see. And you know that in, in nursing, when we meet the patient the very first time, what is our aim? Our aim is to ask the patient about the chief complaint. What brought you here? What brought you here? Why are you here? But the endless, that why question, we do not want to ask the why question. But the why question is not the right question for my interactive communication. So what brought you today? Or why is it that you are, or what brought that you want to be specific? Because at that point, the patient is actually the patient wants to know exactly what they are there and whether you going to help them. And the patient will build trust just by the first interaction. So in this section, A is the correct answer because A addresses directly the specific reason why the patient is at the hospital. That's why we are we are going for that. Now, let's look at the last question, don't move to the next area. Now, in this in this question. Let's see the question here on under on uh, the nursing process. The question states, the nurse should avoid asking client which of the following leading questions during a client interview. The nurse should avoid, which question is inappropriate that the nurse should be able to avoid during the question and answer period. And in the end class, we have to rephrase the question to our own taste. We have to rephrase the question to our own taste. If we do not rephrase the question to our own taste, we will most likely miss out on the question on a very serious note. We have to rephrase this question to our own taste. If we cannot rephrase the question, we're not going to get it correctly. We've got to rephrase the question, we've got to read the question, read the option, Come back and pick up a correct answer. Now, I want you to get used to, to, to this style of answering question because if you if we used to, if we get used to, to this style of answering question, guess what's gonna happen? We'll understand a lot of things about the question and answer. And that's why we have to just follow the format. Sometimes it's sometimes it's hard, but when you are doing the question and answer, even at your heart, whether it's you or it's what, you want to understand how to address this question because practice makes perfect. 
the more you polish the staff, the way you answer the question at home, that will lead you into the endless. Now, so in this question, um, the question states the nurse should avoid asking the client which is the following leading question during a client interview. A says, what medication do you take at home? B says, you are really excited about the plastic surgery. Aren't you? Were you aware I have I've had this same type of surgery? What would you like to talk about? So why is it, which one of the options in here that the nurse will not want to ask the patient? And why did, why are we choosing C? Why C? Because um, a nurse is supposed to be putting, injecting their opinion to the patient. You're supposed to give an opinion about surgery. You don't have, you don't have, you don't, you don't supposed to discuss your personal business with the patient. Okay. Because that compromises uh, the, the patient decision of many stuff. Okay. And a contrary view. Now, there is something in here I want for to understand. When we do therapeutic communication, there is something we call leading question. Have you come across leading question in in reading your question and answer, or in reading therapeutic communication, or in reading the, uh, the nursing process? Have we all? Okay. Okay. So what is so what is leading question? I heard someone saying yes. Yes, leading questions are questions that you, yeah, like, I'll give an example, like, if you and a client is talking, mm -hmm. you make it into say what you want to hear. Okay, thank you. That's leading question, right? So, in leading question, is leading question therapeutic or not? Non therapeutic. Okay, it is not therapeutic. So, many, the question states, the nurse should avoid asking the client which is the following leading questions during a client interview. So leading question, it is the question in which the nurse will do something like imposing her belief, her thought, or it will direct the client on how to answer the question or on how to address the question. And you do not so if it's, want if to it's do it's that. So in this case, yes, the answer is B. Now you see there, we read the question, you know what is leading question, but, but you did not take into consideration what is leading question, and you just went and chose an answer. And this happened to us in the English. You defined for us leading question in the railway. Then why did you miss the question in the option? Because when we read this question in the English, I want for us to start to learn this even at home. I will keep saying this. We because sometimes we become unsure at the English. Sometimes we are carried away by the fear, the phobia of the endless, that our eyes will see words and we cannot honor those words. And in the endless, everything that you have learned in your nursing life as a nurse, even in your professional career, outside nursing, you got to apply it at the nursing, uh, at the endless, because it requires our whole self to pass the endless. The nurse should avoid asking the client which of the following leading questions during a client interview. That leading, if it was a common classroom test, we would have highlighted leading questions because leading questions 
is not just leading like like the world leading. No, it is a particular topic in nursing, in tribal communication. So the day like this because you did not take that into consideration and you went on to just answer the question. So in this case, B is the correct answer. You are really excited about the plastic surgery, aren't you? So you want the patient to, 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 to answer to your question, A, yes or no, because that would be, oh, yes, I am. No, I'm not. Or the way you ask the question, the patient will, be, the patient will say yes, because the, you are like giving the patient clue to, to follow what you want them to say, which is wrong. So that is non-therapeutic. So in this case, B is the correct answer. On the other hand, Let's let's say we did not know what is leading question. How can we address this question in the English? You and I did not know what is leading question. Can we still answer this question correctly? Yes. Let's go back to our knowledge about question and answer in the English. Let's take for example, we did a question in the English, and uh, in the English we learn we learn that uh, we do not want yes or no answer from the patient. Now, and if the patient is you know, the patient having, having interaction among these questions, which one looks alike to a yes or no question? That is B. So B is all B looks alike. So if I were doing this question and I did not know what is leading, what and I did not know what is leading, uh, what is leading question in the end class, I will go for B because B is almost like a yes or no question. So there are two ways we address questions in the end. The first way is knowledge-based. And that knowledge-based for this question is to understand what is leading question. If you have never seen leading question, you wouldn't know that leading question in this topic is the major topic under the discussion for this question. You wouldn't know that. But it is because it is a topic in nursing that we do in nursing school in fundamental. On the other hand, we answer questions based on strategies. If we do not know the content of the topic, we answer questions based on strategy. And if it's based on strategies, which of these questions will pose a negative feedback for the patient, it will be B also. Because B looks like a yes or no question. That's why it is not yes or no, but it looks like yes or no. So if I'm drowning and I saw a leaf on the river stream, I would try to hang on to that leaf. Even if I would get drowned, but... That leave will give me a little hope before I can get drunk. So that becomes the thing about the English. So when you're doing the English, these are things you want to pay attention to and make sure you understand them. If you do every topic in the English, you want to look at questions and answer on that topic in the English. It's helpful. It's going to really help you if you do that every time in the English. It's helpful. And I keep saying that we should be able to do it as much as possible because there are things. We'll teach English from start to end. We'll never discuss leading questions because it is not, you wouldn't even see it. But if you did nursing school, you did it in nursing school. Because in nursing school, we go by A to Z curriculum. But in the English, we fast track. So there are things that are important, we'll still leave it out. So when you do the Q&A, it helps you to what? To grasp those ones that you left out. And that's how important it is to do Q&A with topic by topic until you complete the English. Now, so we'll have these things about delegation and other things in the English. We'll have questions about nursing process. We have to go back and read these things on our uh, in our book and listen to, it, listen to the audio. Then we have admission 
Okay, critical thinking and clinical judgment. The A class is 95% critical thinking. In critical thinking and clinical judgment of the A class, we it is not a particular topic. Okay, this question is critical. This topic is critical thinking. No, it could even be washing hands. They might ask the question in washing hands that requires critical thinking and clinical judgment. How many seconds should the patient take to wash his hand? And the mother of the patient asks the nurse, what's the nurse best response? That becomes a clinical question because when we're doing the clinical question, we said, wash your hands at least 30 seconds to, to, to get rid of macros from your hand. Now, so in that case, or we count in our heart as we wash our hands, or the, so it is it is knowledge based. So it could even be a common question, but it might require some critical analysis. And we can learn to do critical question and clinical judgment by studying it at our house. And like I said, if you have a question, read a question, please. Analyze the words that are used in the question. Please don't just run through the question and read it because you can pronounce the word and pronounce it and move on now. Because I'll go on to that question because you know leading is the word that you understand, you know, you answer leading and you move ahead. But you should be able to answer, answer that this question, I did this in my nursing school, or there's a topic they call leading question. What is leading question? Then it will give you an extra leverage to understand the question and choose the correct answer. The moment we start doing this at home, a lot of things in the anchor, I can say over and over, if the anchor was like, we're taking this step together, you and myself, they gave us the question for the anchor and said, yeah, you must suggest, I just read to you and you answer the question, you're not going to fail the anchors because I will read the question and you understand what the question is saying and you go for the answer and you get the answer correctly. So if you and I can do it and you find sense and get the answer correct, so if you do it alone, do it the same way. Paraphrase the question or rephrase the question in your own wording and read the option, read the answer, and analyze the words that are given in the question and pick the correct answer. Ninety percent of the time, if you do that, you wouldn't miss the or you wouldn't miss the correct answer. Now, then we look at admission, transfer, and discharge. Now, in admission, transfer, and discharge, there are some important things that we still have to look at when it comes to admission, transfer, and discharge. In admission, discharge starts at admission. Why do they say this? So when the patient gets at the hospital, we start the discharge process at the point of admission. And that's why in admission, the client will have treatment plan, nursing care plan. In the nursing care plan, we'll formulate the client goals. And those goals that will formulate the client in the nursing care plan at admission, there will be a time frame. We have the short-term goal. So the short-term goal will address the patient chief complaints. Why are you here? Or what's the reason you are here? I'm here because, one, I'm vomiting. I'm having nausea. I'm having severe abdominal pains. And I'm having headache. Those are the chief complaints. So what would be the goal for those chief complaints? That the patient should stop vomiting within the next 30 minutes. 
that the patient should be free of their headache within the next one hour. That the patient abdominal pain subsides within this time, within uh, within two hours. Those are examples of our short-term goals. What could be our long-term goal? That the patient must understand or should understand his condition. Now, to do that, to achieve that in the next two weeks or in the next seven or eight days or nine days, to do that, to, 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 to put that goal into place, we'll have to go and do labo laboratory work and other assessment or diagnostic procedure to know what, what's the cause of the abdominal pains. What's the cause of the patient vomiting? So we'll go and do laboratory tests. It said gastritis. Is the patient having GI upset? It said food poisoning. We'll look at that, then we'll analyze that, then we'll come back and complete the care plan. Now, so discharge starts at the beginning of admission. And also at admission, what do we do? We do inventory. Inventory is done to, to look at the patient belongings, the got from the, the brought from home. They take up their shirt, their, their pain, their shoes, we give them our hospital gowns, and we mark everything that they brought in. If it is money, we mark the money in the person of, of another staff, and we write these things down, we put it on a on a sheet. <clears throat> We put it in the patient chart. Whether it's a computer chart or it's a physical chart, it is placed in discharge because we are planning that when the patient is going home for discharge or the patient is being discharged, we'll look at those things and pack his belongings and give it to him to take it home. That becomes planning for discharge at admission. So discharge starts at admission. At discharge also, we want to make sure that the patient is going home the patient has enough education about their condition. They have adequate education about their condition. These are things we want to look at when it comes to discharge planning for our patient. Now, we go and look at transfer. What are the responsibility to transfer a patient from one place to another place? The patient came to our unit for treatment. Unfortunately, the patient cannot be treated. The patient has terminal illness. Patient must be transferred to another location, either a hospice, or the patient came to the hospital, the patient came with a broken leg. Our duty at the hospital, the trauma center, is to treat the patient and make sure the patient has their legs back. We went on, we did we did uh, 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 internal fixation, we did casting, we did uh, traction. Patient legs is now in better position. They can walk on their leg, but they are not walking correctly. They are not walking straightly. What do we do in this case? So we go ahead and transfer the patient to the rehab center. So patient is being transferred to a rehab to go through rehabilitation to be able to walk and move around. Patient going to occupational therapy, to physical therapy. What are they going for? Why are, how, how do we start the process? These are things we have to learn about discharge, admission, and transfer. They are in our, they are in our books. We should go and look at and look at the nursing consideration. Discharge planning is um discharge planning is what we call it is interprofessional that starts at admission. Discharge planning, the nurses con the, the nurses will conduct discharge planning with the patient, patient family in line with their optimal results. Nurses begin establishing the therapeutic relationship with patient and family during the admission process. 
Nelson's promote professional communication between you and the patient. That's why you ask the patient, what is to this weather? Is it hot out there? Very hot? Is it windy? Is it humid? You want you want like ask this question to establish the patient interest in you as a nurse. So we go on and do these things to help the patient. You tell the patient who, who you are, tell the patient about the role you are playing in the hospital, what the patient is going to go. The patient needs to understand this procedure. Like when I cover a patient in admission, so a patient comes through admission or through the could do a walking or they came through the ambulance. Okay, my name is Amandu. I'm here. I'll be a nurse for tonight. I work with you from 7 to 9 to tomorrow, 7 a.m. And um, I'm going to take you to the unit. We'll do a quick skin assessment to see whether you have tattoos, you have lacerations, you have any scripts, you have any uh, 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 scars or bruises on your skin. And then we'll do, I'll ask you a few questions, almost like the same question they ask you in admission office. Then I'll take you to your unit. We'll go through that. When we're done, this, this is the next session. This is your room. This is how you switch on the light. This is your bathroom. Then that is the process of admission you are going through. You do everything. Then you go through other things to complete the process of admission. Now, one of the most important things when it comes to, when it comes to uh, this process is transfer. Now, when we are treating the patient, it's almost like admission. But it's different for admission in that uh, Transfer requires a little bit more effort than admission because the patient is going to another facility and you must compare the patient's medical records in a very good manner to transfer it to the next facility. Now, during this, during this process of transfer, um, the nurse will make sure that everything the patient has is being transferred to the next unit through the referral means. And the patient should be aware of this particular responsibility. Let's look at one. When you are transferring a patient, um, the patient need to on 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 the date and time of the transfer, have to confirm, pick out the form and call the receiving facility the, the, the where the patient is going to go. You call them. Uh, my name is Nurse Amandu. I'm calling from this hospital, and the patient I have a patient here who could be transferred to your hospital. Are you aware of it? Oh yes, we are aware. Okay, the, 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 the travel time is 12 midday on Tuesday, the 7th of this month. You state that. And uh, then you go ahead and also look at what they have. You check what they have rooms available. You communicate the time the transfer will be taking place with the receiving facility. You complete all medical records and transfer form. Give a verbal transfer report in person or on telephone. Give the patient background to the receiving facility. You got to do that. Then you go ahead. In doing that, what patient is going to be transferred in a car, in a wheelchair, or in an ambulance? You have to also let the next facility to know all these things before you can let the patient to go. You make sure the patient is dressed according to the weather outside. And that is one of the major things they do in the hospital. When you have to go home, even if the patient is going home discharge, or going to another facility, in in the chat, where you're going to read the discharge, you have to mention the clothes the patient is wearing to go home. If it is cold out there, you do not want to put a sleeveless 
blouse or shirt on that patient to go out there. If it is hot out there, the patient cannot wear jacket to go unless the patient requests that, okay, I still feel cold, I want to wear a sweater to go outside. But the nurses must dress the patient appropriately according to the weather and it should be reported in the chat after discharge. That, that is honor the, the, the discharge notes. If it is the father or the guardian who will pick up the patient, the patient is an adolescent, the nurse must read the patient's father's name or guardian's name at the time they came in, the person that they used to get to get identified, and everything that occurred during the process of discharge, the, the discharge significant to the relative or to the guardian, that should be discharged and that should be written in the patient chart. It should be documented. That's how we do this chart. Now, and I'm saying this because in the end class, they're going to bring you case scenarios about what we are saying about this chart and they will ask you for a response. And we have to have an adequate understanding about these procedures to be able to answer this question correctly. At discharge also, we want to account for all the patient belongings. One day I was home, I had worked all along, patient came with nose ring. And I, I was home, they kept boosting my phone. When I look at my phone, the, the, the DOM called me, oh yes, you, you, you sign for a nose ring. For this patient, the patient is about to go home. Where did you place the patient's nose ring? So this is how important, it is not expensive, but it is the patient belonging. It is their belonging and you have to manage it in a way that they would not, it will not go missing during the discharge time. Now, so that is, that is your duties when it comes to you who discharging or transferring the patient. Now, what's about if you are the receiving end of the, of the patient, you are the one going to receive the patient, what are your responsibilities? One, the patient coming in a wheelchair, patient needs, uh, the, 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 the patient needs O2. The, needs, the, the patient needs chest tube. Any equipment the patient needs, you have to make it available for the patient to arrive. And that's why when you are receiving the report for transfer, you have to make sure you ask those questions and get those information of equipment or tools the patient would need before arrival. When the patient arrives at the door, Take for example, if the patient was in an ambulance and having airway obstruction, you want to have those airway, those airway equipment at the door. So the moment the patient is coming from the ambulance, you are putting on the patient marks, the O2, everything is in the patient's nose to be taken from the from the uh, 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 from the ambulance to the stretcher to the wall. Those equipment need to be made available. You have to, if appropriate. To inform the client roommate if the patient is going to be in a semi private room where they will share a room with another patient, that roommate needs to be aware. You are not telling him to get a consent from him to tell him that you should say yes or no. No, you are telling that you are in the private semi private room and there are two patients to require to be in this room. We are bringing a roommate here at this time, so that is how you go about and, and do it. You meet with the patient family and the, the patient himself or herself on arrival to complete the admission process and orient the patient to the unit. You want to do assessment on how this patient can tolerate the transfer. Are they able to move around? Can they help you? Or they are bearing that you need total help to move the patient. These are things the nurse want to find out before you can get the patient to, uh, to be transferred. 
want to implement appropriate nursing intervention in a timely manner because at transfer at the receiving end the patient will be very impatient and uncomfortable nobody who is bare ready one put a toe them in their hand on or, or, or on the stretcher you don't like it but because it is a situation that unfolding you have to do it so when, you, when we are doing it for them we should do it with care for them we have to have the following documentation when it comes to transfer the client medical diagnosis and the care provider that is the, 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 the diagnosis and the doctor who are caring for them needs to be on the patient chart the patient demographic information needs to be available now this can come in slow that i apply a patient is being transferred what are those information the patient the patient will, will need at the receiving end or before the patient can be transferred patient diagnosis and the patient's doctor assigned patient demographic information overview of the patient health status so we we'll do that on the face sheet we have what we call a face sheet on the face sheet you have those things in there, the, the patient or uh, the patient healthcare proxy or drug power attorney, the patient's name, where they're from, their doctor, their pin number, on the their, their wristband number, everything is on the face sheet in the patient's chat. If the patient came from another surgical unit, what are those precautions that will prevent complications or that will prevent emergencies? So we look at those things and they should be they should be written or they should be communicated to the nurse receiving unit. Patient virus sign before leaving. Patient allergies. Why are the medication? Why are the food groups they are allergic to? That needs to that needs to be told to the nurse end. The patient needs O2, wheelchair, certain machine. They gotta know that the patient advanced directive. Their family involvement in the care and healthcare process, if it's applicable, you have to make these things available. That is for transfer now. For discharge documentation, we have types of discharge. It could be there are two types of discharge in in the hospital we know of. One is against medical advice, the AMA. Two is provider discharge. The AMA is against medical advice. The patient decides to leave the hospital or the patient family say, I'm leaving. And that can only happen in the case of a medical hospital. In SAC hospital, we do not have AMA in SAC hospital. Unless the patient family, yes, they can send AMA, I'm sorry, they can send AMA, but patient himself cannot do it because in the SAC hospital, if the patient is admitted on the involuntary admission, you cannot leave involuntarily. So, in AMA, patient, patient went against doctor advice and said, I want to go home. No matter what happened, I want to go home. That is applicable in message. If the next one is um, doctor discharge, you have gotten well and you are about to be discharged. That's fine. Or you have improved. You go home and continue to care will discharge you. So, there are two types of discharges. Now, in nursing, when you come to discharge also, the date and time of discharge should be made mention. Who went with the client and what is the method of discharge? Is it going to be an ambulance to go home, in a car, in an Uber, or any medium they're going to use to go home? These medium have to be 
made known. Then also, where the, where the client is going home, this needs to be done in the entire process. Um, description of any unresolved difficulties and procedure for follow-up. Okay, so he did this procedure at the hospital, but it, it is not clear that he's fine. So when he goes home, we set up an appointment to come back and do a follow-up. Follow-up is important when it comes to the discharge because follow-up will tell the doctor whether the patient is improving or not after 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 discharge. So the client will take back with them their medication that they came with. So if they came with medication, the doctor must reconcile the, the, the old medication and the new ones. So it is important because if we don't reconcile those medications, patient will go home, they will take their previous, the, the previous drugs and the new ones. So if we do not reconcile that medication, it can cause it can also harm them. On some occasions, patients will need a hospital with this medication and they were being discharged. Doctor prescribed for another medication of the same type and they went to the, the two medications and it created a complication. So we have to reconcile the patient medication regimen. And we have to make sure also we plan these follow-up care correctly for the patient. These are things we want to understand about admission, transfer, and discharge for our patients. We have to understand it in the best way possible to know where we are. So in the end class, I want us to go with this format. Read these topics in your book for this week and know what they are. You have to read them and know what they are. So if you read them, we'll come back the following time. We'll do another group of topics. So we'll come week in, week out to do these things for those who test are nearer. So we'll, we'll do this today. We'll come tomorrow. We'll do another portion of fundamental topics. So I want us to focus on this portion today. I'm going to read it over and include uh, our ethical and legal responsibility. We'll look at delegation and supervision, the nursing process, critical thinking and clinical judgment, admission, transfer and discharge so we'll stop on this today we'll come in tomorrow then we'll do uh medical surgical aid services infection control client safety home safety some of those principles that we do in nursing and we'll do security and, and, and disaster planning for tomorrow then we'll come in the following week we'll make sure we'll complete the last segment of the fundamental now any questions so far Uh, and I, do, I, I want to know something. You say that there's, there's two kind of discharge. The, so one the is one that the doctor, the one that the doctor will, the one that the doctor send you home, and the one that you go by yourself. But in the in med search, you can discharge yourself, and then you sign that against medical advice. And you say in in psychiatry, you cannot discharge yourself. Now, uh, if you came with the uh, involuntary uh, admission, mm -hmm. now if it's voluntary admission, maybe yes so on voluntary admission the patient has to write the leave at any point in time so, so let's say a patient was working at a mcdonald but they have symptoms of some mental illness in the past and they figure out that uh, they are having continuous suicidal ideation 
they want to they, they want to commit suicide it comes in continuously and it's embarrassing them or they're having homicidal ideation hi so it's embarrassing them continue and they are in the midst of other people and they do not want to cause harm because even if you are mentally ill you do something yes that there, there is a law that can that can prosecute you so um so in this case they walk to the mental hospital and say, oh, yes, my name is Amandu. I'm not feeling fine. I'm having suicidal ideation and I'm feeling anxious. So I came to see what I can get admitted. That is voluntary admission. According to voluntary admission, the patient has the right to leave at any point in time. I went in after two or three days and I feel like I want to go home. I went back to the, to the, to the people who admitted me. Oh, yes, I, I think I want to go home tomorrow at 12 midday. They will ask me, you got somebody to pick you up? Yes, who will pick you up? I will catch Uber. Tomorrow comes, we'll put a discharge board together, everything. That does sound, and you leave. That's how it is. But if there's involuntary admission, let's say they call the police. Oh, yeah, there's a guy here. He's tall, black. He's been breaking through our car windows. He got a, he got a baseball bat in his hand, just hitting the window, breaking our glasses, and uh, threatening to hurt somebody with the baseball bat. In that case, you are going to be apprehended involuntarily. The police come. They see you and they arrest you. If, if, they, if you are arrested and taken to the hospital, that becomes involuntary admission. Or it does not have to be police. You and your mom got in a car and you pick up a knife to hurt, to hurt your mom. That is DTO. You are being dangerous to others. And I said, there are three reasons why you can be, you can be on a hole, on a psychiatric hole. The three reasons are, one, when you are dangerous to yourself, we call that DTS, danger to self. That's one. You want to kill yourself. You're cutting yourself. You're involving into overdosing medication. Those are behavior of DTS, meaning you are being dangerous to yourself. And those behavior require you to be on a hold. That hold is an involuntary hold. Every state has different name for, for those holds. In California, it is 5150 hold. I think in Pennsylvania, it's 203. Now, we have different states with different holes. That becomes the first one. The second reason why you can be on an involuntary hole is when you become dangerous to others, DTO, you gather in the morning and start throwing rocks on people's, on people's buildings. You start running other people. Anybody can call the police. Let's call the police. We'll call the police or we can apprehend you. Or you were in the house and you and you pick up a knife for your dad or your mom or your sister. They feel threatened. So because of that, they call the hospital or they call the police. The police comes in, they will arrest you and take you to the mental hospital. That becomes an involuntary hole. The third one is when you are disabled, you cannot attend to your ADLs. You walk in the street, you pee on people, you pee, you, you spit on people, you, you just, you just acting. You can't take your ADL, ADL. That becomes GD. GD means you are gravely disabled to perform your ADL. So based upon those three reasons, one of them can take you to a mental hospital on an, on, on, on an involuntary admission. It could be DTS, meaning you pose danger to yourself, you want to harm yourself or self-harm or self-injurious behavior. It could be DTO, meaning you pose danger to others. DTO means danger to others. So if you put your order, you threaten others' well-being, others' peace and security, we can hold you for that. The last one is GD, if you are disabled gravely. Gravely disabled is GD. Gravely disabled, G-R-A-V-E-L-Y disabled in that case we can hold you now any one of those reasons that will take you to a hospital involuntarily 
you cannot be discharged until a doctor reviews your case and says you are well to go home. Then based on that, we can discharge you. But other than that, you cannot sign an you cannot sign to get out of the hospital if a doctor did not review the case. That's how it happens in mental health. Okay, um, Fasco. Yeah. So that brings me to my uh, another question, right? Mm -hmm. If you check in by yourself, because uh, you rather said I you know you can check out when you feel better. Yeah. But in that case, if you check in, why then it becomes dangerous to suffer in order that you are you resting? Can you can you uh, like say? After a few days, oh, I feel I'm okay to leave. Now, yes, you, you can still go home because okay. you came with us. But now, get let's get it clear. You might be there in a condition change. The hospital does not have any right to hold anybody. There is a hearing. They, they can have a hearing. And it is at that hearing, they will have a judge at that hearing. At every mental hospital, a patient will have a hearing. So at the hearing, so the, the hearing comes in. So when you are when you are admitted or when you are on a hole, the first hole is three days. The first hole is 73 hours for any state. Now with 73 hours, so the first hole starts at the point in time they will call the police or they will call the hospital. That's when the hole starts. So the hole could start even if you stay home. So meaning they could put out your warrant, your arrest warrant. That is the whole, the whole start. Okay, the whole started on Sunday, December 3rd, 2020. That's the first day of the whole. So they look for you, they could not find you. They found you on the last day, right? Which would be the 6th, because the, the whole started on the 3rd. They found you on the 6th of December. Now, your whole, is, your whole was implemented December 3rd at 6 p.m. or 1800 GMT. Your hole will get expired after three days on that same time. So on the 6th of December at 1800 GMT, your holes become expired. That is the first hole. Now, at the point of the first hole expiration, they will have to do a hearing and review your case. Whether you are okay to go home or they should extend the hole. So if they're going to extend the hole, the next extension of the hole will not be three days anymore. It's going to be 14 days hole extension. So they will have a 14 days extension. So that becomes the next hole. So that next hole again, they will always review. So, so the doctor will look at a case. And then they will have a hearing to see whether you can go home or not. Because if you are being discharged from the hospital, if you go home and something happens that is bad, that, that is harmful, they will ask the doctor why they do discharge this particular patient. Because... He has come and he has killed somebody. Was he okay? And you've heard on many occasions, somebody does uh, a homicide in the area and the client was mentally ill. So they go back to review the client's mental status. Is this client okay or not? So in revision of the client's mental status, they will have to call the doctors or the facility that, that discharge this patient. When he discharge him, was he okay? Why did he discharge him? Okay, yeah, he was fine. How was he fine? Can we see his record? They go back, they review the record and see those things that made you as a psychiatrist or as a nurse practitioner to, to discharge this patient from the hospital. If it meets the criteria, you are free. But if it did not meet the criteria of being discharged, 
and you discharge him because of, you want to create bed for other patients, then they can also hold you responsible for the patient behavior out there because the patient is sick and did not manage the patient, the patient was discharged, the patient came out and caused a bigger problem. So in that case, yes, the patient has the right to, to, to leave, but sometimes there will be a hearing that will, that, that will grant that discharge. Another question. Now, if there is no question, let's go through some important things in here for today. Now, please, we are doing a rounding up of our last topic or our last study for the end class. So when we say let's do this, please, because we're not going to come here every day. We're going to come here on the weekend. So the topics are named for the look at them. Let's try and look at them before the next weekend. Please. Now, I will, I, will, I will go through some important things. If we have questions, just uh, let me know and we can do the question and answer. Now, this are... Uh, can you, sorry, can you please uh, list the topic in the chat? Heat application is a doctor order and uh, steam agent is a nursing function. Now, the reason is, um, it's a management of a particular condition, right? Now, there can be complication of heat application. There are complications. And the reason why you need that order because when there's a complication, there should be a reason. There should be someone to hold. And there should be how. And there are ways we can do it. Because if you're having, let's say you are having a, a swollen ankle. The ankle is swollen up. Now, with that, if you want to do heat application, the doctor must read that. This is because that 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 needs to have a, a frequency or an interval or a duration. Because if you do it, if you if you apply heat to any part of your body for a longer period of time, it might cause skin breakdown, which is a serious nursing which is a serious nursing problem. So heat application will need a doctor order. Steam inhalation is a dependent nursing procedure. Now. So we have to understand which ones are doctor's order required, uh, are doctor, doctor orders are required, and which one is just uh, nursing dependent function. Now, I have a, I have a cool application because sometimes when it's a study, now in co-application, co-application is not a doctor, is is a nursing dependent function for co-application. And that's why when you go to the hospital, um, if a nurse sees you in the ER and talk to you, oh, yeah, if you go home, you can put ice pad to this place. It's common like that. Now, I want us to be able to like, reflect on our everyday's interaction as nurses, as student nurses, as graduate nurses, to answer these things, to answer, to answer some of these questions. Even in the, even in the CVS, right? You wonder what it's okay. You can buy S pie and put it on you, but heat can cause damage very fast. It can destroy the nerve endings, so it needs a doctor order. Now, um, in heat application, you can never place the heat appliance to the skin directly. You want to place it at least some inches away, at least. 12 to 18 inches away from the client body, or if it is nose application of the heat, 
you, you want to carry, let's say the client has something with the sinus. It should be placed away from the client nose, at least 12 to 18 inches away. So the client can help the wire to free the sinuses in the case of heat application. Now, um, let's look at suctioning. Another procedure I want to look at in fundamental suctioning. Now, in, such, in suctioning, um, you want to assess the lungs before the procedure for baseline information. Why do you want to assess the client's lungs? Because in suctioning, you want to make sure the client is having good airway so you can put in a tubing to suction a client. You want to do that. So you want to do assessment first before you can do suctioning. Even it can be any procedure. If it's your first time to do a procedure, your first thing first is to do an assessment. In the N class, they will give us this question and they will ask us what can we do? What are we supposed to do? Let me see why I can get a question that looks like the last night I asked a question and one of these questions uh, was about this. This suctioning, and I want to look at it and see whether we can get something here correctly. Um, let's see. Let me find a question. I had a question last night. Okay. All right, I'll look at it. Let's go ahead. I can I can find about of one find I'll, I'll put it up. Now, so in the case of in in the case of any procedure, the nurse wants to do assessment first because it will give you the idea on what to do for the patient. Now, when the patient is um conscious, what's the best position the client should be in when you are suctioning them? A patient who is conscious, what position can you place them in to help them suction? Let's let's talk of confidence. These things are not new. We just want to have confidence in discussion. Now, yes, they get in a semi-fowler position, right? Now, if everything is unconscious, what position are you gonna place them in? Unconscious patient. So the unconscious patient, you place them in a lateral position to suction them. The conscious patient, you place them in a wire, see my follow position to suction them. Now, um, the size of the tubing for adult is what? 12 to 18 French. The size of the tubing for adult is between 12 to what? 18 French for suctioning. Now, in suctioning, you always want to hyperventilate or hyperoxygenate the patient before and after the procedure. Because at the point of suctioning the patient, there will be some obstruction of gastric exchanges. So before you can suction the patient, hyperoxygenate them, and after the procedure, you hyperoxygenate them. These are important things for the English. You want to observe a sterile technique in suctioning the patient because it's going 
in the patient, it could go in the patient airway or in the patient or uh, head, it would need to be uh, sterile procedure. We are suctioning a patient now, and we have oral suctioning, we have nasal, and we have uh, we have oral, oral, nasal, and we have tracheal suctioning. Now, um, you want to also be able to uh, uh, apply suctioning during withdrawal of the character. So, if the patient is, if you put a character in and you are withdrawing the character, as you withdraw the character, you want to keep while suctioning the patient as the character is being withdrawn. Now, I'm saying that because in the end class, sometimes we have a lot of these procedures in the end class that will ask a question on them, and they, they are procedures that we're already aware of. But we do not know this information about the procedure, and we not or we not sure of them. You will see the procedure in the end class itself. You know this procedure, but you, the, the question about the procedure, you're not very sure of it. And I want us to be sure to have that confidence because surety will give us confidence we need to, for the end class. Now, for this certain procedure, you want to always maximize the time to such a patient. You cannot go above 15 seconds for patient. For adult, you never go above 15 seconds to what? To search on them. That's why if you do that, they're going to have problem with, with their breathing. That's why you want to hyper also you know, before the procedure and after the procedure because they're going to have airway problem or breathing problem. Also, um, these are things you do for the client who has such an procedure to be carried on. Then look at NG tubing. Now, in the NG tube, what is feeding? So when we feed the patient, that's that's that is gastric gavage. So gavage is when we feed the patient, right? We have different reasons, we have different indications for NG tube. We have gavage, we have lavage, we have decompression. There are different reasons, and we discuss them in a form of them when we're doing those tubings. Now, so for this particular type of feeding, when you are feeding a patient through NG tube, that is called gavage, gastric gavage, G-A-V-A-G-E. So feeding is called gavage in nursing. Now, let's look at feeding. What's the best position for a client who is undergoing NG tube uh, feeding? The best position for that is what? Semi-fowler position. Yes? See my final position. Now, when we insert the NG tube, what is the first thing we want to do? Now, we should understand that in the end class, we got to understand this words in the end class very well. Immediate action and most important action are never the same. Immediate action and the most important action are not the same. In the end class, when they give you this question in the end class, they will give you in that question, they're going to place two correct answers. And one of those answers will be the most important answer or the most important answer of another one will be the first action or the initial action. So the most important initial action are never the same in English. Most important means which one can you do to save that patient? If you do one thing for them, that which should create safety or precaution for the patient from going to complication. That becomes the most important action or the best action. Now, the initial action is in, in line of 
or is in line of, 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 of procedure. So if the patient came to the hospital and the patient was involved into a car accident, the nurse was called, the call nurse asked that for the patient who is in the ER, who just came from the, from having, who, or who was just involved into road traffic accident, what would be nurse that immediate action? The patient is bleeding, gasping for air and everything. What would be nurse that immediate action? At that point in time, our immediate action would be assessment. Because this is the person that came on admission. We know nothing about it. All we know that there was an accident that occurred on Route 33. A patient came to the hospital. So when you come there, your first thing is assessment. Now, don't get me wrong. The assessment does not have to be you bring the tools, you start A to Z. No. Even an inspection is an assessment. That will be your immediate action. What will be the best action for that patient? The best action will not be assessment. It's going to be how to manage the airway to survive. That will be the best action. So there's a difference between immediate action and the best action. So we have to understand these things in the end class. Sometimes we'll leave the immediate action and choose the best action as the question. We'll give the question in the end class. It will not be the correct answer. And we'll see it and we'll, we'll get it wrong. And then we'll ask ourselves, how did I get this question wrong? How did that fail? Because there are things we left out. And when you start to do this thing at home, sitting behind a computer and putting these things into practice, you're going to be perfect in it. We have to learn to make perfection out of our effort day, effort with the endless. We have to create that perfection. We have, we have to have a style of answering questions that we'll get used to at home before going to the endless. We have to, like, I worry about these things. When I go through my ankles, I kept doing I was, something I was doing that was not right. And I kept asking myself, why am I doing that? It's not right. And I began to look at this thing. Initial and the most important in, in initial and the best action analysis. Initial means what the first thing the nurse the nurse the nurse, the nurse would do. That becomes the initial action. So so the best action is that means that uh, or management, what we're gonna do to save the, to save the client. That is it. So initial action going to be what will you take? What can you do? So it's like a, let's agree, let's agree that all. Now I want to answer these things very well. You want to end it. So you're gonna see questions about um procedure. So let's say um there's a fire outbreak in the nursing station. What's the initial action the nurse will take? The, the, there's a fire outbreak. A says, raise alarm. B says, uh, let's say, A says, rescue the patient. B says, uh, alarm that there's a fire in the building. C says, continue the fire by closing the nursing station door. And E says, extinguish the fire. What's the nurse initial action? Rescue because it says raise. R-A-C, right? Raise becomes the initial action in there, right? Now, let, now, in that case, they might say the nurse was in the bathroom of the nursing station and there was an alarm that the nurse heard. What, what, what would the nurse next action? So you were in the bathroom and you heard a fire alarm. What's the next step? Eh? Hey. Yeah? Hey, like 
check and inspect what happened. Like, now, it's not, now let's listen, right? Once we heard the alarm, meaning the first one has been done, the arrow has been done. Because yeah. the arrow was rescue, right? The A yeah. for alarm, the C for yeah. what? Uh, so contain yeah. we cannot contain we cannot let, 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 let's say in the option a says contain the fire by closing the door b says b says evacuate yourself off the bathroom or off the building c says pull the fire alarm to alarm that there's a, a there's a fire in the building and d says uh rescue patients from the building what will you do which, 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 which one is the correct answer so you have an answer for for ara which is rescue now that will not be the answer because guess what you had now the e in ara ace for two things either you either you as extinguish or evacuate or you answer yourself right that the arab the, the e means that now I'm saying this when you have any question about this procedure that, that comes in order. Arrow stands for rescue. Either mm. you rescue somebody, right? Uh, e, a stands for alarm. C for contain. And E for either you evacuate or you exit the place you are, right? Now, you are in the bathroom. It is you alone in the bathroom. Why in the bathroom and you heard the alarm? Meaning, rescue. The first arrow rescue has been done already, and that's why they pull the alarm. If we did not rescue, we cannot pull the alarm. So yeah. that's 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 that's, that's, that's how the format works. So when you heard the alarm, meaning they have been rescued, the arrow has been has been taken care of. Whether it was done or not, that's not your business in the English. As far you concerned, when you heard the alarm, meaning arrow has been taken care of, so your concern becomes the A alarm has been uh pulled. Next one is contain. Are you seeing the fire? Can you contain the fire? No. no. Now you have contain and you have exit. You're in the bathroom. All you do is if you if you are going to pick up contain, you put the door because to contain the fire is now, but you, you're not seeing the fire, right? So contain yeah. is not your prerogative at that point because you're not seeing the fire. So your your your, your, your prerogative is to what? Exit. So that would be a correct answer. Because this question is going to come in this time that we have to analyze what the question is asking us for. Amadou. Yes. Hello. Yeah. Please explain it again. I beg you. I said, the point I'm going to make is very simple. The point is, when you are, when you are, ha when, when you are faced with this problem that comes in order, right? Do it in order. So if you are in a building. And there's a fire occurring. Let, let's say you were trying to put on a radium warmer, right? And there was a shock that occurred and it, it blazed into fire. What would be an immediate action to take at that point in time? So at that point in time, the first one is to rescue. Now, if you rescue... The next thing is to alarm that there's a fire. Rescue means, rescue could be, you took a few steps away from the fire. Yes, you rescue, you rescue somebody, or somebody was not a fire, the person has been taken from there and taken outside. That's the first thing, so you have rescued something. 
Rescue does not have to be you come with stretcher and you put the patient on the stretcher. No, it could be just living on the scene. That's rescue, right? The next thing is because many at times where the fire occur, the alarm will not be at that place. So you want to locate where the fire alarm is. You pull the alarm. And in pull this alarm, you do not have to pull the alarm to, to, to alarm that there's a fire in the building. We could alarm by calling 911. That's an alarm. We could alarm by calling the code in the hospital. That's, a, that, that's, a, that's, that's an alarm. It does not have to be pulling the physical alarm of the fire. No. When you call code, correct, 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 it is an alarm. So when you call correct, they, they know that there's a fire in, fire, a fire in the hospital. They know that. Now, the next thing is to contain the fire. How do we contain the fire? Either by closing the, fire, the, the, the doors where the fire is occurring. That's how we contain the fire. Or, if it's a small fire, how can we cover it? That becomes the containment. The next thing is, we evacuate or we exit. Which, which is the E. Now, so if you have a question in the English about fire... And you need to, and, 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 and you gotta look at the fire and understand that procedure, that RACE procedure. You gotta understand that word, that angling, RACE. The form of that angling is how you should answer the question coming down. So, if the fire has been contained, the next thing is you want to either extinguish it or you exit it. So, if you have a question that the fire, there's a fire occurring in the next station, and, the, and you heard the alarm or the call was called, then the fire has been contained. What's the, what's the next action? The next action becomes to either extinguish the fire if it's a fire that is extinguishable or to exit where the fire is going if it's a big fire that cannot be extinguished. Another example is the nursing process. You have assessment, you have diagnosis, you have planning, you have implementation, and you have what? Evaluation. A-D-P-I-E. In the nursing process, when we have a question, but a patient, the first thing we do is to why we assess the patient. That becomes the first part of the nursing assessment. If the patient has already been assessed, we go we go other planning or intervention. If the client needs to be planned for, we do planning. Now, if planning is not the priority, if planning is not there, the next thing is why intervention. Intervention means what action can we give to that particular patient to help the patient that become intervention. The next thing became to evaluate what we've done for the patient. So in the nursing process, in the end class, we do not escape, we, we do not skip one, we do not jump over one. If we do that, it will be wrong. So a patient came to you, you do not know the patient from anywhere. You cannot give any action if you don't if you don't do assessment. So in short, we do not jump over assessment to to provide action for the patient. There must be an there must be a checkup, which is which is called assessment, because it is based on our assessment. We we'll do the planning and provide our action, so we cannot jump over one domain for the next. It's not going to be right. Like you also have the fire. You have pass p a s s pass pass is an angry which means. When there's a fire, after you've gone through race and the fire can be contained, the fire has been contained, the fire must be extinguished. Then you pick up PASS. The P is you pull the pin from on the extinguisher to open the extinguisher. Right? From there, what do you do? You go to the wire. 
to the A. You aim at the fire. Go to the S. You want. You then you go to the S until you complete the process. P A S S. That's how you go about doing these things in the end. I'm saying this to say there are other procedures. It will it might not just be on the fire. As I, as as I could be using an an instant an instant of pyrometer. It's a procedure you follow. Using a meter dose inhaler, you follow a procedure. So you do not jump over one to the other. If you do that, the procedure is wrong. They might ask you, the patient opened the mouthpiece of the dry powder inhaler. What is the next what's the next action for the patient to take? What do you do next after opening the mouthpiece? You must know it. You must follow that particular that particular procedure or that particular proceeding to be able to get it correctly. When you skip one, it's wrong. It's not going to be effective. So in this question, that's what I'm saying. So if it is if they ask you for the next action, the next action is a procedure or an, a proceeding a proceeding answer that goes in line. Like you don't skip one. That becomes the next action. And our most important action becomes the action that we can implement to save the patient in the end. That becomes our most important action. So our most important action might not be our initial action or might not be our next action to take in line. Any question? Yeah, and, and, and the initial and, and the immediate is like something we need to do. It's, it's, it's like assessment. So it, now it does not it, 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 it does not have to be assessment. It could be anything along along the, along the nursing action, but it's like it should be in line the, with, with the last one I was the done. First thing, like the first thing you should do, the initial initially. So like the first thing okay. So 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 let's say this for NG two, right? The nurse has instead of the patient NG two. What's the next action? A says, do an x-ray assessment. B says, administer the patient uh, feeding. C says, call the doctor to make sure that the patient tube is in. And D says, uh, elevate the patient bare hair. What's the, what's the next action for the patient? It will be the one. The x-ray, the 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 right? Okay. So the x-ray becomes the next thing we'll do. Because after the the after that now in that case, the x-ray is the next thing we do. But let's say it is not the most important at that point. This patient is is having hypoglycemia. They need to have their feelings to, to be a minister, right? So the most important thing will be to get the patient feeling to them. But in that at that point, our next action, after we put in an X-ray or after putting an NG tube, we must verify or confirm the tube placement. So the next action becomes the confirmation of that tube placement, whether it is inappropriately or it is in inappropriately. That becomes our next action because that next action can help to what to guard the patient from complication also. So what understand next action. Our next action does not necessarily have to be the safest action. No. It will be in proceedings. What next can we do after this? 
that become a proceeding answer. So our our immediate, our most important answer becomes those answers that will pick up, that will be that will see the pain, that will be the best one to do for a patient. So they'll ask you, a patient who uh uh the the, the patient who has a particular problem, a bleeding problem, what can what's the most important answer for the patient? The patient is bleeding. What's the most important answer for the patient? The patient is bleeding, they're having a deep laceration and they are bleeding. A says or suture the wound. B says, provide a gauze and apply a pressure a pressure dressing. C says, um, call the doctor and prepare the patient to go to the OR. And D says, now they'll give you this this action, right? We know at the end of the day, this patient would need to be sutured, but is suturing the most important action at that point? No. Because the, the the client cannot be having profuse bleeding, and we suture, so we want to put in a gauze over that particular laceration to suppress the bleeding while we prepare them for what suturing. So at that point, what can we do for them that will provide for them an immediate relief of the problem become the most important action? So these are things we have to analyze in the end class. And in many cases, like I said, I will repeat it again. In many cases in the end class, they will have two answers that are almost correct. But one will have something peculiar that will make it wrong. And it's only you and I who do critical thinking in analyzing this question can know whether it's correct or not. If we don't if, if, if we don't analyze this question critically, we're not going to know it. Now, then another one says, you want to assess after... The client is placed in the semi-fallow position for the NG tube. Um, measure, you measure the after the position, you do the measurement for the, from the tip of the nose to the ear lobe to the zygote process. Then you the client go in the semi-fallow position, assess the tube placement. What do you do next? After the tube placement has been assessed, what's the next action? A says start the feeling, uh, start the feeding. B says, assess for uh, uh, residual abdominal content. C says, um, call the doctor and inform that the tube is in, the, the in rightfully. They give you this thing. What will you do next? I would choose B. Okay. So we go in a while and do the residual testing. To know what, not just only what is in place, it's, it's in place already, it's confirmed that it's in place, yes. but the residual testing is not to know what is in place or not. Now, to look at the PS1 and to see the abdominal content, because the client who is bare reading, who is on this NG2 feeding, can have hypervolemia or they will have another problem. So if you aspirate, now, some, every hospital has different policy. So it, 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 the client gastric content is above 50 when you aspirate at the point that you stop you stop aspirating if the fluid that remains in there if the gastric content fluid is above 50 ml meaning we do not give anything to the engine tube if you get anything the client will be having hypervolemia and the method of the flow sort of country that note in their mouth i had an experience i had an experience i went to work uh, one day when I was doing home health uh, nursing, 
one of the nurses and myself were working with this patient. So um, the nurse has a minister. You know, when you get the work, the patient will take uh, 1,000 ml of fluid for the whole day, and they'll have a feeding. They'll have, uh, they'll have, I've forgotten the amount of feeding they can have. So we open the, the Osmo light and put it in the, in the bed. We'll put, at night, we'll put two in the, in, in the feeding tube. During the day, we'll put four in the tube. Now, understand that this. Now, and, 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 and the patient will get D5 every other day. So this patient, the day he's getting the D5, he will get a D5. He will get, no, I'm, I think D50 in the small bed. He will get a D50 that same day. That's in there you will receive almost like 500 ml of fluid and you'll receive his full bottle of Osmo Light for his regular feeding. So on that day, if you do not manage the feeding, the patient will have hypervolemia. This day, the girl went to work and not because the doctor said this, you must do it. You got to use your own judgment. She had gone to work. She had administered the patient with the D50. It was going infusing. She put up the patient, uh, uh, the patient um, feeding the osmolite, and she also had on the water going on also running. And the tubing we're using, the machine can alternate between the feeding and, 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 and that of the fluid for the patient. So she was, everything was going simultaneously. The D50 was going through the central line, the, the water and the osmolite were going through the client stomach tube or the G tube. Now this kept going. So when I got to the ship at 3 p.m., this patient face was tense, stomach distended. The moment I turned around, I saw the fluid coming from his mouth, his nose. He started like when the moment you lift your hair, you see fluid coming up. Then now she already gone home. That's my problem because she would try the thing. She has she she had a problem. She had to go home, so I had to stop the fluid. I set him up, and he threw up. He threw up. A lot of the fluid came out. The food came out before he got. He before he became okay. So sometimes we have to understand to measure the residual of the stomach content, not just to assess or to confirm. Now, you see, you see what he said? I've already told you that the patient x-ray has been done and we've confirmed that the patient has this tube uh, to the referral place. Now, the next thing is, what next we do and why are we doing it? We do the abdominal content testing by doing the client residual in the, uh, 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 the, the residual. We do that and that will tell us the amount of fluid or the amount of full content in the client abdomen. That's the reason why we are doing that particular uh, uh, door assessment for the feeding. So we have to understand why we're doing these things and how can it be done. The next thing we do is the height of the bag. How high a tube feeding is supposed to be from the client abdomen? How high is it supposed to be? 12 inches long. It should be at least above 12 inches from the point of insertion because it needs also gravity and also it needs immune so that it can pass through to get to the client's stomach. So it should be at least, it should be always be above 12 inches. That's the length between the point of insertion and the tube when it's hanging over the patient. 
Then the next thing is. So, Amazon, with, with that, you can go up to 18? Yes. Okay. Now, if you start the feeding, the client needs to stay upright for at least 30 minutes. So, the client needs to stay in that position. Sitting in that position for at least 30 minutes. We can change the client position. The next thing is, there are more common problems that come with tube feeding. The most common problem will be lactose intolerance due to um, it will be diarrhea due to, due to lactose intolerance because um, 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 most of the tube feeding will come in lactose or milk or they will come in those milk the client will take. So the most common problem with tube feeding is lactose. It, they'll have diarrhea that will be due to what lactose intolerance. Any question on tube feeding? Then we look at enema. Now, enema, I muttered in yesterday to look at the kind of enema. Look at the kind of enema and know the description of those enema. Look at them very well. It is important that we know all this thing for our ankles. We have to leave, we have to make sure we do everything. We should not leave anything unturned. We have to do everything about this procedure in front of them. They are important. Fundamental is also a huge portion on the ankles. And we cannot study message and forget fundamental because fundamental is huge on the ankles also. In enema, enema would need a doctor's prescription. I agree that we do enema at home at any point in time, but at the hospital level, it is done based on a doctor's prescription. Without doctor order, we cannot implement enema. When we are providing enema, we want to give the client privacy as much as possible. What Position the client gotta be in to pass enema. What is the enema position and why the client gotta be in that position? Yeah, same position. Same position. Hmm? Same position. Same position. Why same position? So, um, to, to make the anal visible to not. Uh, so, the best position. Okay. So the best position for enema is left lateral position. And that position gives access to the colon. And it is the same position the client will lie in when the client is undergoing colostomy. You remember last night we talked about it? Yeah, now, Vasco, yes. which one is the, the, same, the same position is the same isn't it the same as the lateral when you were the lateral and they're pulling their foot and put it back? Yes, that's a same position. Yeah. That's a same position, right? But let's 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 understand this. In the end class, um, they will have this and there'll be a reason why they will have the same. Now, in the same position, you see them lying down almost the left, like a, they will lie down like this, but their hand will be at the back. Their legs is one leg is like a over each other and you have access to the to the client buttocks. Now, but in the ankles, most ankle question we're talking about left lateral. They, they will not post sim there. Now, if you do not see if you do not see sim there, the best position for for that is the what left lateral left position. Left. Because it is so, a simple, they, so you can't see sim. Because yeah, the left lateral because lateral because you see they got a little left lateral with the hand and the full flat. So if you see seam and you see left lateral, now if you put like if you put seam left lateral, 
I will take uh hmm. I will take same position because okay. now uh, I will take same position because left lagger position is that position that position can be done. But in same position, it also gave you access to the column, it gave access to the rectum, it gave you access to a lot of abdominal, lower abdominal content and other things. And uh, if you look on a same position, yes, it can also be used for any man. But if you did not see same position in the end class, please take, um, please take left upper position because it is the best position for those procedure. Now, sometimes, okay, let me not even go, let me not even go into, uh, into that. Now, so um, we'll go in the left larger position. The size of the tubing for any man is between the two to the two French. We got the size of the sectioning tube of any man of NG tube. We got know these sizes very well. The size of a catheter. You gotta know the size of catheter to pass through for children for adults. We gotta know these things. So for the enema, we'll do the two to the two French. Now, if there is abdominal cramps, what do we do when we pass the enema? If the client has abdominal, cramps, is it normal or abnormal? If it is normal, that's fine. If it is abnormal, what can we do? You stop for some time. Now, for some time, now you don't want to say, you don't want to say for some time, you stop until the cramp stop. You stop the, the animal until the cramp stop. Let's speak, let, let, let's speak that we have adequate knowledge on this thing. Yes, we do have. So, let's talk like you stop the, the, the you stop the animal until the cramps while the cramp stop. So, if the cramp stops, you resume the animal. Now, yeah. what's the height of the enema tubing from the point of insertion? What's the height of the enema? How how far do we keep the enema from the client anus or the client rectum? 18 inches. It should be at least 18 inches away. And uh, these are things we understand about uh, about the enema. Then for urinary catheter, it needs a doctor prescription. Urinary catheter. Do we need a double treatment for Foley or straight or straight calendar? For straight calendar, for me, I would say a nurse can do it a little as for prescription. If if he sees anyone, I don't know. Because if the person is in ready, you see. Of the, of the stainer abdomen, like we mm -hmm. say, the, the bladder ready to stain it, like for OB, mm -hmm. you can do a straight catheter on a, on a patient. Yeah, I don't know that's all I read that. All right. I'm not too sure on that, so we'll check on that and see what I need. So, I would mm -hmm. say, I'm ready on OB, but I don't know for everybody. I would say, um, I think you will not need it because they have. <laughs> uh patients who supposed to have like uh urine retention mm -hmm. so you have to like so okay so you so just use i would i would say so, that prescription because it for me it seems like an invasive procedure exactly that's just why that, that is what i want to see it is you would need a prescription because it is an invasive procedure you are 
being invasive and the patient privacy matters, you are going to break all those wounds. So you need that prescription. It could be verbal, but you need a prescription to pass a straight character to reduce or to put out better content. You need that. So hundred yeah. percent, it's, a, it's a, you need that. You can do it and later ask for prescription for OB, straight catheter. Okay. Then let's look, at, let's look at the you last. You need, you need an order for restraint, but you can also do a restraint and uh, request a prescription later. Yes, for restraint. Now, let's look at um, for the male catheter, the length should be between six to nine inches. For the female, it's three to four because the male has a longer urethra and the female has a shorter urethra. In the male catheter, you anchor laterally or upward over the lower abdomen to prevent pinoscrotal pressure. And the female, you anchor it in the inner half of the thigh. This is important. If you put a milk character in, where do you anchor it so that it can be loose lip going all around the patient? For the male, you got to put it laterally or upward over the lower abdomen. So the male goes over the abdomen, lower abdomen here. Then you're going to put the character and you tip it. Or, 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 or over, red lateral or over the abdomen. For the females, it is placed in the inner thigh. So you put it on a car and you clip it there for the female. So they have a please go over again. For for men, when you insert a character for men, you hook it or you anchor, meaning to hook it right. They have an anchor that come with that come with it. So the anchor is placed for men on the abdomen, on the lower abdomen, or on the side of the abdomen. For the females, it is anchored on their car, on their inner tie. Oh, but I read, I read um, in a lip book, they said for a meal, mm -hmm. you can put it in the inner time. That's how I was doing. I was checking it. Uh, but uh, I, because I, I, I've, I've seen in the hospital, I've seen that uh, in the hospital, I've seen men on, on their tie, but... For the, so, so you can put it on the inner tie for gravity. I have seen, mm -hmm. I have seen a hook to men tie, but for the ankles, mm -hmm. let's put it to the lower abdomen or the lateral abdomen for the female lower, is put lower abdomen. yes lower abdomen. right around where the super area is or or right around the super the super pubic area for the men and for the females you can put it in the inner thigh just for the sake of the ankles okay. now let's let, let look at last day before we leave let's look at um ileostomy or the type of ostomy ostomies we have ostomies now. We like uh, these are things I want to, I want to be doing. These are important tips for fundamental that we've done over the past time. And when we're doing the when we're doing this course, when we're doing the, the course. We run over these things, but sometimes we did not go deep into them to look at all these aspects of it. And and, and and that's why I'm trying to bring them back so we can complete it to have a complete version of what we've done over the past time. Now. We start with ileostomy. Now, I'm not going to go into what is this, what is that, but I want you to understand that ileostomy, the tips about it. So you want to go back and review ileostomy in your book, in the audio. 
go back and review what are those nursing aspects when a client is undergoing the procedure ileostomy. Now, in ileostomy, now there are there are different stool consistency when it comes to these abdominal openings. Colostomy, ileostomy, these two consistencies are different. Now, what I want to understand is that in the case of ileostomy, the client will have liquid to semi solid stool, so they will not have hard hard stool coming out. They will have liquids or watery stool to stool that are semi solid. So the ileostomy it depends on the amount of bowel removed during the procedure. So they will have a semi solid stool. To a while or liquid to, to a while to a semi solid stool when the client is on when the client has undergone ileostomy. So the client who is on ileostomy, they might skew fluid irregular imbalances. That is, you see potassium and sodium having alteration in ileostomy. In when the client undergoes ileostomy, the client um, stool, their feces can cause skin breakdown. Why? The reason is when you leave where you have those gastric content in the stomach, when you leave from there, one of the first portion of the large intestine that you're going to go to is the ileum. Now, when the, when, when the food we eat, when the cells have extracted the nutrients from it and remains the remains become uh, the feces, it goes to the ileum. And in that ileum, the feces will still have some gastric enzyme on the feces. Because our body, go, uh, the, the stool goes through the alimentary canal or through the GI tract. Before it reaches to the rectum, it is 100% feces. But if we create the ileostomy, at the point of the it is not all feces. It still contains some raw gastric content because it did not go through the entire process of, of, of digestion. So there was an ileum, there's an opening created on the stomach at the ileum of the stomach. So that ileostomy is created when the client have this child coming from there as a stool. That stool will contain enzyme that can cause skin breakdown. And that's why when the client has ileostomy, we are cleaning the stool we should make sure the stool should not touch their skin because it's going to cause a skin breakdown in the case of ileostomy. Now, in this case also, um, digestive enzyme in stool can irritate skin, skin, the skin, because so we do not give the client laxative. So when the client has ileostomy, we do not give them laxative. In ileostomy. Now, in ileostomy, lavage may be done if you have to clear full blockage. What is lavage? I talk about gavage. Gavage means putting something in the stomach. Food that becomes gavage. Lavage means removing. And we do lavage through the CNG tube. We we'll insert an NG tube and we we'll, we'll remove full content from the stomach through lavage. Through gavage, we'll use NG tube, but we'll introduce food to the stomach. Now, so in, in ileostomy lavage, 
we can do it. It is a full blockade along the clan uh, intestines. So we'll do a lavage to remove the full particle from there. We do not want to get the client that's a tip in the case of ileostomy. And it, 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 it comes in the ankles. The doctor has prescribed the following drugs for the patient. Which one with the nurse question? A patient with ileostomy, they will say A, uh, Besacoda to remove stomach content or to help the client to pass through. Due to they have not passed through for two or three days. No. We do not administer laxative when the client has ileostomy in. Another thing is, um, we may not require appliance set if continent ilia reservoir or porch. We might use the coach porch, but we might not require the entire set to change an ileostomy bear. Then for colostomy, in colostomy, um, we have different colon. We have the transverse colon. We have the descending colon. We have the ascending colon. We have different part, different portion of the columns. For the ascending colon, the client must wear appliance because they will have semi-liquid stool coming up at the ascending colon. I want you to understand at this point of the colon, what stool, what's the stool consistency that coming out is important for the ankles. At the first point of the colon, which is the ascending colon, the client will have a semi-liquid stool coming out. It did not say semi-solid. In ileostomy, the client will have liquid to water, semi-solid stool. In colostomy, at the first point, of, which is the transverse colon of the colostomy, or of the colon, that portion of the colon, the client, if they have the opening in there. Now, let me say this so we understand it. So the column has various parts. The transverse, the descending, the ascending, they have various of the column. Now, every portion of the column, it is there for a particular purpose. Stood formation occurs in the large intestines. And every portion, the ileum, the cecum, the column, the rectum, those are portions of the large intestines. And these portions have different roles to play when it comes to stool formation and stool excretion. Now, if we open, if we create an opening on the client abdomen around the ileum area, the client will produce liquid to what semi-solid stool because at that point of the, of the large intestines, stools have not formed 100%. So the stool have formed in halfway, it still contain liquid and still contain enzyme. And that's the reason why when the client has ileostomy, their stool contain enzyme that can break down the skin. Now, when you pass the ileum and go to the column, at the transverse column, it will, it will have an opening of a colostomy around the transverse column, the client will have what? Semi-liquid stool coming up at, I'm sorry, at, 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 at the ascending colon. So at the ascending colon, the client will have semi-liquid stool over there. At the ileum, they had liquid to semi-solid stool. At, at the ascending colon, now they are having what? Semi-liquid stool coming in there. At the transverse colon, so they also need to wear appliance. At the transverse colon, 
the client will have semi-formed stool. So they will have stool that is formed halfway. It is not liquid anymore. It is semi-formed at the transverse column. At the loop of the stoma, they have the proximal end, the distal end, the plastic rod, they have the double barrier and they have two stoma. They have all these things. They are part of the stoma. And when they talk about stoma care, stoma care, these are things we understand. When I became the nurse, I had a job that was supposed to, there was a very good paying job in Philadelphia, but they didn't call me and interview me. I missed the interview question. She asked me, do you know stoma? Have you done stoma care before? I said, yes. And she said, can you describe me? How do we do a stomach care on the phone? And I and I had us, I had a lot of that said, well, which someone they were not in order. She said, okay, we'll give you a call. They, they never come because they knew that what I did for the interview, I blundered and I did not do good for it. So they, they felt that I did not even have the confidence to do these things. So stomach care involves we should know the portion of the stomach, the parts of the stomach. We should know them. The proximal end. The distal end, the plastic rod, those are part we need to know for the stoma. So in the stoma, we'll have the loop stoma. In the loop stoma, we have the proximal end, which is the proximal end functioning stoma. We have the distal end drains mucus. So the distal end will drain mucus. The plastic rod can be used to keep the loop of the stoma out. So the plastic rod is the portion of the stomach that keeps the loop out so this loop stomach can be used temporarily then we have the, the one that is double barrel the one that has double barrel it contains two stomach that's why it is called double barrel b-a-r-r-e-l it has two stomach it is similar to loop but the barrel is certainly severe. It's almost like the loop stoma, but in this particular doubles or double stoma or the double barrel, the barrel in there is certainly severe. That's what happened in the case of uh, the colostomy, the double barrel colostomy. Please review colostomy. Know the nursing implication for the colostomy. Know the do's and don'ts for colostomy. It is important for RNs mainly. Then we also everything and do it. Then we have the sigmoid. The sigmoid. Remember, yesterday we talked about sigmoidoscopy. We have the sigmoid. We have the, we, we have the sigmoid colon. So we have the ascending colon. We have the transverse colon, the descending colon, and we have the sigmoid colon. So it starts like the ascending. The one that go is ascending colon. The one that coming down is the descending colon. The one that between the ascending and descending is called a transverse colon. You have the one that going towards the rectum is called the sigmoid colon. Then we have sigmoidoscopy. And that's why we say when you do the sigmoidoscopy, we do not place the fiber optic uh, or tube in your mouth. It's placed in the rectum because the rectum is nearer to the sigmoid colon of the abdomen. Now, for the Seymour, for the Seymour, let's understand this. We do not have to memorize this. 
The reason is just understand. So the first portion of the large intestines, you're going to have the ileum. So in the at the ileum, when full leave the small intestine and get the large intestine, you're going to see the first portion is the what the ileum, and in that ileum, uh, there is liquid to semi-solid stool being formed at the ileum. When the stool leaves the il the ileum, it goes to the what? It goes to the ascending column and in the ascending column there is a semi-liquid stool in there from there it moves to the wire to the transverse column in the transverse column is the semi-formed stool in there from there it moves to the wire to the semoid column in the semoid column the stool is already formed you have a solid formed stool in the semoid column and that semoid is next to the rectum and the rectum is next to the anus or to the anus. So that's how it is. So in the semoid column, which is the last portion next to the rectum, it is where when the stool reaches, the stool has already been formed to come out. So in the semoid column, we're going to see formed stool. The bowel can be regulated so appliance not needed in there. Meaning, when you have a semodus, when you have a, when there's an opening created in the semoid area, you do not need those appliances, like the beds hanging on you. You don't need that because the urge to defecate will be there. So you do not need those appliances. But you will need it in colonoscopy. You will need it in all the other types, whether it is the transverse column or creation of the opening, it is the it is the, 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 it is the ascending or descending column. You need appliances, but in the case of the Seymour, you do not need appliances in there. So in the Seymour column, it might need irrigation. Those are things you do. Then we want to assess the stoma. How do we assess stoma? Stoma assessment. The first thing stoma assessment. You look at the color. The color should be the same color as the mucous membrane. For a stomach to be a good stomach, to be well helped, to be a healthy stomach, it should be the same color as the white, as the mucous membrane. It should be red. It should not be dusky or pale. If it is dusky or pale, it is a sign of white infection. When a stomach is dusty, is, is dusky or pale, it is a sign of white infection. It should be red like a meat. That's the color of our mucous membrane. Now, we should assess for edema. There can be edema common after a surgery. Bleeding slight, bleeding common after is there, there might be a slight bleeding of the stomach after the surgery is common. So when we do colonoscopy, we do simoloscopy, or we do we create a stomach. In colonoscopy, or in uh, sorry, in in colostomy or in this ostomy, there will be slight bleeding after the procedure at the stomach side. That is normal, but after it has healed, there should be no bleeding. So bleeding after long time, it should be it should be reported for assessment. Then we also undergo colostomy irrigation. We irrigate the colostomy. 
under this irrigation, it is done to stimulate peristalsis, the wave-like movement of the alimentary canal or of the GR tract to move content that is in the GR tract. So we irrigate the wire to stimulate, to stimulate peristasis. We can do other subsequent irrigation to also remove bowel from along the alimentary canal or along the GR tract. If the client is having constipation, we can irrigate to remove the feces and other content from the colon. We can do that. What is important also is it is done at a patient's convenient time. It is done with also semoid colostomy. So we can do it after five to seven days after the surgery. So when a client, now this is important, when a client has undergone colostomy or any of these ostomy, remember there will still be feces along the client GI tract. So we will irrigate the client colostomy five to seven days after the surgery. These are important. Numbers in the ankles are very important. Now, and this procedure is done when the client is lying in a while, semi-fowler position. To irrigate colostomy, the client can be in a semi-fowler position. Or the client can sit on a bare toilet once the client can ambulate themselves or himself. We can use a warm normal saline to do the irrigation. We introduce the fresh 200 ml, then we introduce 500 to 1000 ml subsequently. So we start with 200 ml, from there we introduce, we cannot start with the highest, we start with a lower ml and we, we, we increase it up to 1000 in subsequent times for irrigation of the bowel with this normal uh, oscillating uh, solution. We dilate the stoma with glove on our with, with, with glove on our fingers that contain lubricant. So we can dilate the stoma with glove that contains lubricant to insert the cardioid in there. So we can insert cardioid in there for the irrigation. But our hands, our fingers should be gloved hand, gloved fingers, and we should have lubricant, KYG or KY lubricant, to moisturize our hand as we dilate the stomach to insert to the stomach to insert the carrier in there now then we also go ahead we make sure during this period um we lubricate before we can insert the character we insert at least three to four inches of the character into the stomach it should not go above three to four inches. The height of the solution to irrigate the stomach should be 12 inches from the client side of insection, 12 inches. In this instance also, if the client experiences abdominal cramping, if the client is experiencing abdominal cramping, what can we do in this case? If the client is experiencing abdominal cramping, what can we do? In this case, we go in and also help the client 
during this period, we stop the fluid until the cramping subside. In the case of abdominal cramping, when we are doing colostomy irrigation. Another thing is, we allow the catheter to remain in place for at least five to 10 minutes for better cleansing effect. Then we remove the catheter to drain it for 15, for 15, to, 15, for 15 to 20 minutes. So when we insert, when we insert the client, when we, when we insert the catheter, after the irrigation, it should stay in for at least five to 10 minutes. We don't just, when we're done, we can just remove it immediately. No. After the irrigation, it remains in for at least five to 10 minutes. Then uh, from there, we remove it and drain it for up to 15 to 20 minutes. That's how we do it. And now when, 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 this, when this lady called me to tell her how do we do colostomy or, how, or what is the cure for colostomy, these are things she wanted me to have told her. Unfortunately, I, 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 I did not tell her these things. I told her different things. So she said, okay, we're going to call you back. And they're now coming back because I, I was off track. Now, you also want to clean the stomach site and apply new porch. Do the client bare bath, provide the client privacy, expose, wash, and dry one body part at a time. So if, if the client having this tubing in or having and they are having this problem that's how you they want to do bare but they are bare ready so in this case you want to provide the best for this client you want to make sure in bathing a client in bare bath we always want to wash the cleanest areas first before the dirtiest areas and that's why we do not start a bare bath by washing the arm, washing between the legs and other things. We start with what the areas that are exposed, that are less dirty or that are clean, that might be that might look cleaner. And then we move to the water to the dirty. That's why vaginal care and perineal care in bare bath remain the last. When you don't everything, you come with your soap, the towel, or something you use what you have to use for the vaginal care. And you do it separately because those are the areas of our body, our perineal area, that will contain more bacteria or more dirt. Now, you wash, rinse, and dry. That's the procedure. You wash an area, you rinse the area, and you dry that body part and move to the next body part in bare bath. Let's not forget, we use long, firm strokes from distal to proximal area to increase venous return. From distal to proximal area in bare bath and clean the patient. So these are things we wanna do. We're gonna stop here um, at bare bath. When we'll come tomorrow, we'll go extensively and do the other portion. We'll complete the other portion. Any question? This is one of the best plans I've ever